When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, not too bad, thank you. All, all good, Dan? Very refreshed and revitalised, I hope, to talk about City, just in time for the long, arduous international break. <laughs> yeah, I timed that badly, didn't I? I missed the uh, Dortmund and Wolves games and, I mean, having sangria on the beach is not a bad alternative. Certainly not, I'm very jealous. And also with us today is Mr Tyrone Marshall. Ty, you've been all over the shop this past week, you know, going over into Moldova to watch United. And then on Saturday, down in the black country, watching Manchester City play Wolves. How's it going? Uh, yeah, very good. Thanks, Dan. Very good. Much better. Much easier to get to Wolverhampton and back from Wolverhampton than it was uh, from Moldova. Let's put it that way. The Europa oh. League is uh, a pretty grim place at times. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. But at least one thing that both games had in common is that you were pretty much done and dusted by half time, you look here, so and so, not like me at Dortmund last week for the first time, that was going on right to the end. But you, um, you know, at City, um, a comfortable 3 0 win over Wolves at the weekend, as we say there, it was all but kind of sewn up by the break, 2 0 up and a man up, and then Foden added the third in the second half. You were there, um, is, it, is it the first time watching City this season in the flash? Uh, yes, it was. Yeah, especially oh, well. the Tottenham game, but obviously that was called off. So yeah, it was mm. the first time, first well, time in the flash this season. Well, a, f- a fresh perspective on City. Your first time seeing Erling Haaland. Of course, we've talked about it so much. But what did you make of of the game? Uh, yeah, like I say, it, it was pretty routine, really. Um, I thought the, the the start of the second half, the first 15, 20 minutes were a, a little shaky. Um, you know, at, at that point, like you say, it, it felt done and dusted at half time. Two goals up in a man up. It, it was a case of how many, and then for. For kind of 15 minutes till around the hour mark, 65 minute mark, Wolves had a real good go and they didn't create many chances or, or any sort of clear cut chances in that period. But you know, I think it's fair to say a better team in that period and they had up a bit of a head of steam, they had a bit of momentum, the crowd was on their side. And I, I don't think the result was was ever in doubt. As um I did next to, to Simon Stone from the BBC and, and he turned around and, and said to me that he said, uh, this feels like a game that could end 2-0 or if Wolves score, we'll likely end 4-1. And then it'll basically, you know, if Wolves score, it will wake City up and and kind of push them to, to go on and, and get there. I don't think, you know, I don't think Wolves were ever going to come back into it with 10 men. And that spell they had at the start of the second half was always going to fizzle out and, and City took advantage of it. But at that moment, you know, as, as Pep said after the game, Wolves were, were the better team in, in that spell. And that was a, a bit of a surprise. But, you know, before that, it, it was just clinical, really, just, routine um you know fantastic start with a goal after 55 seconds really important goal for Grealish as well that the goal you, you kind of want him to see him scoring coming there 
when De Bruyne put that crossing, you, you can kind of picture it. You can close your eyes and picture that that goal with Foden laying it off to De Bruyne and De Bruyne in that outside right position, whipping it in and Haaland scoring. And then when it went past Haaland, normally you'd think, well, that, that's it, dead. And the fact that it was Grealish coming in right behind Haaland as kind of the second wave is, is the goals you want to see him scoring. And then obviously Haaland scoring himself from outside the box and, yeah, it was game over at that point. City had a couple more chances. Um, you know, Wolves had their moments in the first half as well. But from that moment on, it it felt like it was done and dusted. And once they'd weathered that storm at the start of the second half, it was it was pretty comfortable again. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Joe, I don't know how much of the game you managed to see in between sips of sangria on the beach, but you know, a good a good win for City, ending the first kind of portion of the season strongly, still undefeated. Well, I will admit that I didn't see any of it because I was <laughs> flying back, uh, courtesy of a cancelled Ryanair flight. But I've seen the highlights and, yeah, I think it looks like a game that we've seen City play so often as well. And and the goals look so relaxed and sort of pre-rehearsed, like Tyrone said, that that, that first one, and it even looked very similar to the third one as well, that move has been rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed. And it's sort of second nature to, to those players. And I think the only surprising thing was Grealish coming in as as Ty said, because he hasn't always been doing that. He might be the one who's getting players on the other side and then being able to allow the switch to play, but he's not then added the run into the box. So uh, that could be quite an encouraging uh, aspect to his game that he adds. I think he said earlier, uh, maybe yesterday, on international duty that the players are sort of reacting to Haaland's just incredible sense of goal and taking that into their own game. Now, I'm not saying Grealish doesn't have a sense of goal, but if he's sort of thinking about that and making those runs into the box. We've seen players like Raheem Sterling make a career out of that at City. So maybe that could be something that we start to see more of from Grealish. But no, it's, it looks like City were just very comfortable. And as soon as City get a first goal, it's really hard to, to look past them in games like that. And it seems like the game management is something that maybe they haven't always had this season. I'm thinking about Crystal Palace, where they, they fell two goals behind and sort of times like that. But you know, getting back into it and killing off that fight back in the in the second half, I think Guardiola will be quite pleased with the, with what he got from that game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't think it was much of the case last season, but his season's previous Wolves have been a similar sort of side to Newcastle and Palace, where they've given City mm-hmm. a right good goal. Didn't they do the double over them, massive, um, surprisingly, a couple of years ago? Mm-hmm. I remember specifically the... Uh, was it like 27th of December they played over that Christmas period and Adama Traore just absolutely tore City a new one. So there's been, no, been by no means an easy place to go or an easy team to face for City over the years. And as you said there, the fact that they've had a couple of dodgy starts this season, they've had to come back on three different occasions to rescue points. The fact that they didn't have to do that at Wolves this time, it was really kind of comfortable, I think is a very good you know, a good sign of things to come that they are kind of getting over those early jitters and jinx that have been kind of a bit of um, kind of the only thing halting what would otherwise be an absolute freight train and momentum. But Ty, you know, let's let's kind of dive into the minutia now, and it, there is no better place to start than Grealish. You kind of touched on him there. You know, I was chief amongst his critics, and you know, I wasn't alone on Wednesday after his kind of really lackluster performance against Dortmund. I think all the criticism he did get was justified, but I think as it was on this podcast, I think it was kind of asterisk by, he's coming back, just recently come back from injury. Yeah. He's, um, Dortmund defended really well, a really tough game, really um, held the own and closed down the space against him. Guardiola came out, defended him, and then he stuck by him. And as I said, that decision was vindicated with 55 seconds at, 
a real confidence boosting goal. I think you could see with his celebration afterwards, it was a real relief, a real weight off his shoulders. But I think what was even more encouraging, other than just the goal tie, was his overall performance. He looked so much sharper on the ball, was really bright. I think there was one period of play where he kind of got the ball around the, the centre circle and glided past three tackles and kind of brought the ball forward, nearly launched a counter-attack. And I think it was only a... I think it might have only been a De Bruyne pass that was slightly behind an advance of Bolden that stopped like a third goal in the first half, a counter-attack that Grealish started. So it really seemed like... It was the first time I've seen Grealish in a City shirt. I thought, this is the Grealish they paid £100 million for. This is the um, that live wire, that spark, that bit of X-factor. That's something different. All the things um, myself and Alex were saying on, when, on last week's show that he, he wasn't bringing it. It wasn't the player that City signed. It looked like he'd been kind of battered and moulded into the kind of pep system. But this was him still working within that, but showing that 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 bit of something different that City, that Guardiola likes to have sometimes. As I said last week, he, he bought Ibrahimovic at Barcelona because he wanted that bit of something different to his well-oiled machine. But that dipsy didn't work for reasons off the pitch. But with Grealish, you know, Guardiola's always defended him. And it looks finally now that if you can build it, you know, the international break's coming at the worst time to come just there, but just as he's finally had a good display. But it was really encouraging, I think, from Grealish that he finally had that performance, you know, a year now after coming in, that says, oh, it could actually work here at City after all. Yeah, yeah, definitely. He he was very good, especially first half. Um, he, he was City's most dangerous attacker, I think, in, in that game. Um, and, and like I say, he, he was disappointing against Dortmund. It's interesting to Pep on Friday kind of blame other people on that and, and the lack of support he had in that position. Um, I thought he was very good in, in Seville the week before that. So he, he is, you know, that's two very good performances in, in three games, really. Three successive starts. Um, I think, you know, I think there was a little bit of surprise that he kept his place in the team, but definitely repaid it with that goal. He looked sharp and, you know, you, you're right in that his, you can't sit here and say he's been a success for £100 million when you look at his numbers and, and you know, Pep tried to say there is more to his numbers, but you don't sign a player for £100 million, especially as a forward, to completely ignore goals and assists. And as, as Grealish said after the game on the pitch, you know, those numbers haven't been good enough. So, you he has to improve them and you can't say at the moment he's been a success, but there's definitely signs that he's getting there and it was always going to take a little bit of time to to kind of get, get settled. And like I say, he was for for Aston Villa and to a degree for England, he, he's a, you know, he's a freestyle footballer really and that's never going to work at City. They, they don't have any freestyle footballers and he's had to kind of combine that structure of, of what Pep wants and holding your position and allowing the switch of play and allowing others into the game and playing those passes back to Cancelo just to move defenders around. It's not really in, in Grealish's nature and he's had to kind of learn that. And if he can learn that and then add that that touch of sort of skill and flair and freestyle into his game, then that's, you know, that's the ideal combo. It was always going to take time. There's there's definitely been more spotlights on him this season. And like you say, he was heavily criticised after Wednesday. I think there was, there was certainly a, a very fair assessment in the summer, I think, that you look at, you look at perhaps signings and a lot of them, you know, there's a lot in that squad that were better in their second season than their first and a lot better. And I think that's that was always an expectation and that might happen with Grealish. But a slow start to this season, partly through injury, which has, has kind of increased the scrutiny. And Haaland has come in and basically kind of busted the idea that every new signing needs a year to settle. So, you know, I think he's he's kind of had that, that spotlight as a result of that. But it, 
it was a better performance. It was an important goal. Like we touched on previously, it was the kind of goal that you, you want to see City's wide players scoring. So he just needs to build on it now. Like we said, that's three starts in a row. It does feel like he's becoming a, a fixture in what you would consider City's best team now. And, and the challenge from that is to, to go and build on it. Yeah, definitely. And I think a big part of that is the front three he's in. And he wasn't in it against... I don't know how much influence it has when obviously Mavis is on the other side of the pitch. But I think it's coming increasingly clear to me, Joe, that City's best front three now is Grealish on the left, Haaland, on, Haaland in the middle, obviously, and Foden on the right, which, as, as we've touched on previously in previous episodes, it's a position he's not really featured in that much, but he's getting to do it now and he's really shining there. Uh, the, that was the front three that played so well in Seville. You know, two games they've played together as a front three now this season and the City have won each game. Um, you know, by an aggregate score of seven nil, so it's clearly looking good. And you, know, you were there in Seville. Is that the sort? Is that going to be the way to get the best out of Grealish? And probably with Bernardo Silva behind him as well to link up with, who's a bit more advanced and a bit more tricky than Gundogan, who's obviously brilliant, but obviously a bit more um, kind of uh, metronomic with his passing. Well, of those two games that you mentioned, I think three goals have come that like we were talking about before exactly the same De Bruyne and Foden on the on the right hand side okay against Wolves Haaland came out but creating that overlap putting the cross in and a simple finish in front of goal so it's no surprise that they are, they do link up really really well and I think Grealish does play a part in that he might not be that sort of freestyle player as we say but he is he, he keeps possession and because you know what he can do defenders are sticking by him and he's taking players out of the game. So he might not be getting those those stats that he wants. And yes, as we say, goals and assists are very important for a player like him. But you, there aren't really many stats to measure keeping possession and passing it three or four passes before a goal. Because why would you measure that? But I think they're the stats that City do do look at. And that's when you hear Guardiola and people like Kevin De Bruyne really leap into his defence and saying, this is how important he is. Because I think his tactical sort of play, especially this season, has really come on. And for the first time, you can really see a role that he has in the team last season. He was sort of floating around and you didn't really see how he fit in. But I think this season, Grealish really has. And it probably started in pre-season. He started really well in, in the US and he looked back to his sort of best of his Aston Villa games, having a run at defenders, but also knowing when to lay it off. And I think that injury came at, at a really bad time. But at the same time, Grealish getting more times on the left has allowed Foden, as you say, to, to move over to the right. And I can't remember the game, but whenever he played there for the first time this season, it was the first time since the opening game of last season that he played on the right. He'd almost, he'd exclusively been on the left wing. So it's Foden's had to change his position as well. But when you've got players like Haaland and Grealish, who defenders have to go near, near because they are going to create chances if they do get the ball, that's freeing up space for for players as talented as, as Foden and De Bruyne. And they seem to be linking up really, really well when maybe they've not had the chance to before. So, yeah, I can, I can really see the argument that that front three is the best. And it might mean that Grealish doesn't get as many goals or assists, but it doesn't mean that he's not going to have an important role. Um, and then, you know, if he can add those goals and assists, if he can work out those triggers when to run into the box or take a shot, then even better. But I, I get the feeling from what we've heard from Guardiola if Grealish just keeps on doing what he does tactically and positionally, he's not going to be too disappointed and any goals or assists are, are a bonus on top of that. Yeah, definitely. I, I can see a similar sort of trajectory 
to like Sterling, obviously when Sterling mm-hmm. came into the club and he played before, you know, he was here before Guardiola and at first he was um tricky winger, got the odd goal, you know, fast on the current attack. But when Guardiola came in is when he completely changed his game, became absolutely lethal um, in the area and, you know, Guardiola took his, not even just potential, a really good player, but made him just even better, a real class above. And I could see, I can sort of see a similar thing to happening to Grealish, perhaps if he can continue that development. You know, Ty said there that goal is such a city goal, the cutback, and it was one that Sterling scored so many times, being in coming in late off the left flank and being in the right place to kind of pick up any loose ball and just turn it in. So I can see that, you know, and you know, Ty, you saw the front three in action. How how did you rate it? And I do think it is, as I mentioned a bit earlier, I do think it's the midfield as well how they support it because it. Mm. That makes it so good because Foden now was always having to be on when he was on the left, he was kind of advancing down the byline more because you have Cancelo who cuts in, and maybe that's a bit of an issue going forward with Grealish and Cancelo both cutting in. It was a bit against Dortmund, as Alex mentioned on the last show, but it worked well on Wolves. But what that's a, a tangent, but kind of here now, when you've got Foden and Grealish more coming in, De Bruyne and Bernardo are able to push out on the flanks a bit more, and I think it's really working. Um, really well for De Bruyne, who's getting down that right side so often now and getting so many assists from it. You know, another two um, in the Black Country at Molyneux, and it seems like, especially with Foden, a combination that's going to reap loads of rewards for City. Yeah, definitely. It it did feel um, watching the Wolves game like there was kind of two triangles on on either flank, basically, and I think it was more noticeable on the left because Cancelo is more used to playing that role, but. Bernardo, Grealish and Cancelo linked up really well. Bernardo and Grealish especially. Um, and then on the right, De Bruyne, Foden and, and John Stones. You can see it less with, with Stones because obviously he's not used to playing that that role. Um, but, but De Bruyne and Foden especially, you could see it. And it did feel like the two the two wide players were linking up with the two wide midfielders um, really well. And it, it does feel like that that system and those... That front six, I suppose, at the moment, you'd say, of, of Rodri, De Bruyne, Rodri Bernardo, De Bruyne, and then Foden, Grealish and Haaland. It feels like it's got a really nice balance to it. Um, you, you know, you've got Bernardo that, that can go outside, Grealish on his left foot, Grealish that can cut in on his right. Foden can cut in from the right onto his left. De Bruyne can go around the outside. And, it's you know, it's, it's giving City so many options going forward. It makes the pitch huge when you've got, you know, you look at the first goal and, Foden's, Foden's movement is brilliant to, to pull wide, then he drifts infield, then he, you know, he, he eventually, eventually he basically goes backwards. He starts running um towards his, you know, towards the halfway line, really, but it creates the space for, for De Bruyne to go around the outside. And once De Bruyne is in that position, he's he's almost unstoppable. And you saw it on the left a couple of times as well. And you know, Bernardo doesn't tend to whip those crosses in. He's more of a take a touch and look back in field for a little diagonal ball or a ball into the box. But you can see they had so many options of of, of just that, having that really nice balance of, of players doing things on their favoured foot, of being able to come inside, being able to use the overlap. And it, it, it was clearly difficult for Wolves to deal with just because of the the options and the fact that it can make the pitch so big. When Foden comes in and De Bruyne goes outside, it leaves so much space in midfield. That ball back to Rodri is always on if there's nothing available in the midfield. And, you know, it, it, did, it does feel like you know, I think I think balance is a good word for it because it did feel like it just it just flowed really nicely, and that you always the players always knew what their options were and where their options were, and, and you know, so you, you look at the front three and it's right. But I think the front six as a whole in that instance just fits really nicely. 
Yeah, absolutely. It was, you know, a great attacking kind of display. And, you know, we, we haven't heaped praise on him yet for a seventh or eighth or ninth or tenth week running. But, of course, Haaland scored again. This time he added yet another reason for goalkeepers and defenders to be terrified of him. Because, as you mentioned earlier, a goal from outside the box, it almost seems unfair. Like, come on, you're the best striker on planet Earth. You can smash one in from anywhere in the 18-yard box. And now you can even score from outside it as well. And it was, it was strange. It was such a... It was kind of like when Van Nistelrooy scored one from outside of his box once. It was like, oh, come on. He shouldn't be allowed to do that as well. And it was such a good goal. Again, he kind of, I think Bernardo gave him the ball. What is it, 30, 40 yards from goal? He turns, runs towards it. Absolutely no pressure on him. I think it was Max Kilman who was absolutely terrified of just showing anything to him and getting made to look like an idiot. But sadly, <laughs> you can, you know, a lack of a choice is a choice in itself. And he was made to look like an idiot anyway. Um, with under no pressure whatsoever, Highland just casually um, slotted it into the bottom corner for about 20, 22 yards. You know, it was your first time seeing Highland in the flesh, Ty. You know, your turn to think of some nice ways to describe him that haven't already been used because we are running <laughs> out really quickly. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just that old adage of he's he's just not in the game until he's in the game and scored a goal, isn't it? And you know, you you barely notice him, and then all of a sudden the the ball's in the back of the net, and you you know he's it's not just the goals, though the goals are the most noticeable thing. He does go long periods without being involved in the game, which which isn't particularly important for a centre forward if he's scoring. You see it with the third and his his link up play was excellent for that goal and his combinations with De Bruyne and, and Foden. Um so we can do that. Like you say, the it, it felt like Gilman was kind of backing off and was almost falling for the idea of, you know, Haaland being a tapping merchant and that he was backing off and backing off, thinking, I don't need to engage here because he scores from in the six-yard box, and then the finish was, you know, it, it, it was it was a bit of a miss it, but I think it was almost one of those. It's a deliberate miss it, and he was just trying to strike it low and use the defender as a block for the goalkeeper. The keeper couldn't see the ball properly because Kilman had backed off, so he could he disguise the, the the angle of the shot really because the keeper couldn't see it. So it was a very clever finish. He didn't catch it entirely sweetly, but. It was his weaker foot. The most important thing was the direction because by the time Jose Sarr had seen it, it was too late to stop it. Um, and yeah, uh, you know, uh, you, you'd say another string to his bow, but he did score. He scored plenty of goals like that for, for Dortmund. I remember one in the Champions League. It might have been against Paris Saint-Germain, I think, where he kind of dribbled from, from just inside their half and then finished from about 20, 25 yards and just right in the top corner. That was with his left foot and was basically unstoppable. Um and yeah, it was, you know, some something else for like say defenders to to be fearful of. And you could tell that Kilman didn't know what to do. He didn't know whether to engage and, and risk the ball being laid off. Didn't know, you know, I think he took the option to back off, thinking that he's, you know, he, he doesn't tend to score goals from there, but he does and he can do everything. And like we say, he is when the ball comes to him, he is just a a ruthless finisher. And the role he's playing in that city team is is phenomenal. Um, you know, I I thought he'd get to this kind of level eventually. I didn't think it would come immediately. I thought there would be some period of adaption. The the speed at which he's acclimatised is is incredible, really. Um, and it's, you know, uh, Joe mentioned before about Grealish sending international duty about him rubbing off, and it does feel like that that might happen. I asked I asked Guardiola that after the Wolves game and said, you know, Grealish had said about scoring more goals. There's other players in that team, like Foden, really, who you think should score more goals for the positions they get into, and Haaland has kind of got that ruthless desire and that hunger to score goals, whereas some of the other, you know, a lot of the other forwards there don't really have that. They, they're equally as happy playing the last pass, which can work. 
for, as Guardiola said, De Bruyne got 20 odd goals last season. And he's he's playing a different role this year. He's he's going to get more much many more assists and less goals, I think. And people need to to step up and score those goals. Haaland's going to score a lot of them, but you still need others to do it. And I think there is a possibility that that ruthless hunger and desire to score goals and be in the right positions might well rub off on teammates. And you kind of saw it with with Grealish making that run behind Haaland for the first goal, the the kind of run that you'd expect a, a second striker to make, but maybe not always someone like Grealish. Yeah, definitely. I mean, already he's smashing so many records, Joe. I mean, he's got 10 goals in 14 games. And you can, if you don't want to count the Community Shield, you can make that sound even better by cutting it down to nine. Since he left at Red Bull Salzburg in January 2020, he's got 100 goals in all competitions, which is, you know, speaks, you know, uh, awe inspiring. He's the first player to ever score in his first four away games consecutively. He's bagged in seven straight games in all competitions again. He, he did that last in uh, 2020 as well. And um, he scored more goals. This is even madder. He scored more goals this season, 14, than 13 Premier League clubs, including United and Chelsea, and the same as Tottenham and Brighton. So only three clubs? No, my maths is... Four <laughs> or three clubs are the only ones who've scored more than Haaland in the Premier League which is ridiculous, Joe. And it almost seems like City just basically starting a game 1-0 up. And I mean, it's, it's, what's even more crazy is that the only team he hasn't scored against is Bournemouth of all teams, the team that conceded nine to Liverpool. So it's a wonder he didn't score there. But it's just, you know, as I've said many times, we're going to get to a point where there's nothing else to say other than Haaland scored again, whoop-de-woo. But for now, we should try and, uh, try and enjoy it as much as we can. I think I'd prefer that, though, to... The, the reaction to the Liverpool game and the and, and that Bournemouth game was, oh, is he going to cut it or not? It's like, of course he is. Like every, every player is allowed a game where they don't score, but Haaland just is inevitable in that sense that he, he will score and he'll find a different way to score. Um, I think that, we talk about that goal at Wolves, it, you can prepare all you like for him to to not touch the ball in the box, but when he gets a run on, run like that and he puts it in the bottom corner, what, what are you going to do? I, I think there was one bit of that goal that I've not seen mentioned that much, but he sort of dropped his shoulder and Kilman just went with him and that just opened the space completely. A little bit like De Bruyne did, I think against, I think it was against Bournemouth, just that sort of movement of the body, even without the ball. Um, he's just, yeah, such a clever player. He's 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 going to score a lot more than he already has. But when, when Ty was saying before about those sort of triangles and this sort of system suiting every player, I think that's because Haaland's there because they know Haaland is always going to be in the box and he might not be involved for, involved for 10 or 15 minutes, but he will be there. He will always come short and that sort of link-up play is, is really growing. You can see that in his last couple of games compared to to his first couple as well. Um, and it's starting to result in uh, maybe not assist, but he set up that third goal for, for Phil Foden by, by dropping deep. And if the players like Foden and Grealish can realise when there is space that Haaland's opening up, then that's... I just find, I don't know how you would ever find a way to defend against City when Haaland's in the team because you can't defend against him when he's in the box because his movement's so good and if he comes out of it then that's space for a lot of the talented players to go and to go and get instead. Um and yeah and when we're talking about the 
sort of movement on the flanks and and that being so effective. We've also seen City just run down the centre and and score a fair few goals already. De Bruyne was doing it in pre-season. Haaland got that goal against Wolves. Um, there's a couple more examples that, that Haaland scored. I think the hat-trick goal against Palace, maybe, where uh, Gundogan just sent it through the centre. I've got no idea how, how opposition managers would prepare to to, to manage it against City because they've got so many options and and the players seem so in in tune with each other already. Haaland seems to be that clever footballer that brings out the best in all the other players. That it's there's so many options for City to 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 do and, and score a lot of goals. So I think yeah, I I like to say what what more can you say because he, he's so good and he's making the players around him even better. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a word on, you know, we've waxed lyrical about all the attacking play tie, but kind of a word on the defence as well, because a clean sheet, which have been a bit more rare than usual so far this season, as we've said, you know, three games already, they've had to come from behind. But um, I thought they were really solid. I, I should say there was a 15-minute spell that second half when Wolves, down to 10 men, were obviously told by Bruno Live just to um, kind of go for it, give the fans something to cheer about. And they played well, but City, for the most part, despite that kind of pressure, didn't really concede many. I think Neto maybe had one when he hit it just wide. But apart from that, or was the one, oh, is it Guedes? He should have scored and he he absolutely sliced it and it went yeah, well wide. Yeah. That might have been in the um, first, no, that was second half, yeah. But um, they had a couple of chances, but nothing too threatening. I don't remember Edison make, having been called into much action. And I think, so the defence does kind of deserve a bit of credit there. John Stones came in at right back against Dortmund and again here at Wolves. Um, obviously scored against Dortmund a, a mint goal and you know he's doing well in that position despite it being unnatural and I think another word goes to Manuel Akanji who's had a great start in the Champions League came in here for his Premier League debut and again looked just as composed in there coming in kind of a last minute sign and the way he's adapted so quickly to, um, to life at City as well I think is definitely deserve a commendation. Yeah he, he was very good uh, very assured on his you know first Premier League appearance and um, very assured. Guardiola's raving about him afterwards and particularly the, the aggression to get tight to players and, and not give away fouls. I think he gave away one in the first half for a, a fairly dangerous free kick. But other than that, he was you know, he was spot on in terms of when he went to engage a player and when he stepped back. And he did look very assured and a, from, from what we've seen so far, looks a very astute signing. And given the you know the, the bad luck City so often have at centre-back, it's, it's no surprise that he's already playing games and, and being involved, even though he was probably essentially signed as a fifth choice. Um, I thought Ruben Diaz was really good as well. Um, he was in the right place so often. I think a lot of the reasons that, that Wolves' attacks came to nothing were because of his interceptions and his blocks and just a you know a really commanding centre-back performance in just being in the right place at the right time. And Like we said, Wolves had their moments. That at 1-0 down, they had a spell. I think Edison made a near-post save then from, I think it was Guedes, um, like we said, second half, there was there was a lot of pressure on the City goal without clear chances beyond that that slice from, from Guedes. I thought it was absolutely awful in that game. Um, and other than that, yeah, it was just a very a very assured defensive performance. And Diaz and Akanji looked look really solid together in a, a really accomplished partnership. And the, the competition for places there now, especially when the port is, is back fully fit, uh, probably after the international break now, is, is going to be intense really because... Kanji has done nothing wrong and is clearly really impressing Guardiola. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we've seen plenty of times over the years that if a defender comes in and does enough, doesn't impress us, doesn't put anything, doesn't put a foot wrong, 
he'll keep his place no matter if there is someone waiting on the bench to play. We had it with Stones, who came in when Laporte um, was dropped after his Spurs display and Laporte couldn't get a look in um, for that season. Likewise, last season, Laporte was amazing and Stones couldn't get a look in. So, Nkanji may well be keeping both out for the time being, at least when Walker's back and Stones kind of goes back to being on the bench. But, you know, there was some bad news coming out of the weekend, Joe, and that is regarding Calvin Phillips. It's it's not been a it's been a pretty bad start for his life at City. Nothing to do with his action on the pitch, but he only has about uh, 19 minutes, I think it is, to his name so far in a blue shirt. Uh, before the game, he was declared not fully fit, but it later transpired that his shoulder um, issue, which he's he first injured in Leeds at Leeds in 2021, I think, and has had two serious injuries on it. Um, it's kind of been it was got aggravated in the friendly against Barcelona. Um, he came on against Dortmund, kind of fought through the pain there, but it doesn't. It seems to have kind of been aggravated once again. It looks like it needs surgery and it's got a lengthy um, recovery time, a fair few weeks. It's now in a race to fit for the World Cup, which is obviously a blow for England as well. Um, but yeah, it's not. It's not been a good start for him. Guardiola has you know, expressed his frustration of just not having that option there that he kind of wanted. You know, to have to be able to rest Rodri, who started every game so far this season, which isn't ideal, and to play two defensive midfielders if he wants, and it's 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 obviously not good at all um, for Phillips or City so far. No, it's it's frustrating, but I'd imagine there is a lot of frustration that it happened in the Barcelona game, where the sort of objective of that was to get in and get out without any any injuries, um, and clearly that's quite a big one, and, and it's going to keep him out and. I think City might have looked at this international break and thought, okay, he'll get a few minutes here for England. It might be able to keep him ticking over and and get him going. But now, obviously, they've they've lost that as well. But um, I think it'll be a little bit like Laporte, just get get the surgery done, get his long term fitness sorted, and City will be able to deal with with that in in sort of the short term. But um, I mean, it could even maybe benefit City in the long run if he doesn't go to the World Cup if he's got that those few weeks to do it but it's it's weighing up sort of do you want the player to play and get back in form or do you want him to be fully fit for for the end of the season and yeah it's 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 not been the ideal start I, I asked him in in Houston I said how are the injuries and he's like yep they're all done they're all fine so clearly that knocking Barcelona's really set him back a bit and um yeah it, it will be very annoying for City not to be able to bring him on and, and ease him in as as they would have liked and yeah I think it's maybe 13 Premier League minutes he's played, which is nothing, is it? It's uh, not what you want. You, you it's only one you. minute in the Premier League. One oh, minute he came on. His oh, biggest spell, <laughs> well, you were there, Was it, his biggest spell was about 13 minutes against Sevilla when he came on. Yeah. Well, well, that's it. And when he's played, he's sometimes been sort of replacing Rodri and in pre-season he was at centre-back for a lot of the time. He's not even had time to really master... The, what Guardiola wants of a defensive midfielder, which is obviously quite a lot of technical and tactical tactical ability. So, yeah, no, not the ideal start, but um, I think they've got to manage this injury well. Don't rush him back. If it means he misses games or the World Cup, then that's a shame. But I think his long-term fitness after the year or so he's had is probably more important at this stage. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, Ty, I don't want to kind of judge the signing at all because... He's obviously got nothing to judge him on. I've gone on record multiple times. I think Phillips is a great player and fully fit, really does suit this City team. I think we showed England during the Euros, he can pass as well as do the kind of the dirty work and it really is a smart signing. But do you think 
it may end up being perhaps a rare mishap from City. They're usually so well-researched in the signings um, and it's not often they've signed someone who isn't fully fit. Now, they did it with Gundogan, obviously, who came in, was injured at the time and suffered another one straight after and that's obviously turned out really well. So there's nothing saying Phillips can't get over this latest setback and then go on to be injury-free for three, four years, who knows, and be really good. But he did come to City with this kind of injury um, kind of uh, proneness, I suppose. He missed most of last season with Leeds and what's probably why they came very close to going down and why Marcelo Bielsa lost his job probably because he was such an important player. So I don't think, obviously the shoulder injuries, it's happened a few times now. Like, is it, do you think it's a bit surprising that City went for a player that has these injury problems despite how good he is? Um, not really. I mean, I think there was always the, I think there was always the case that he was going to need surgery on the shoulder at, at some point. Um, you know, as, as City have said, when it, when it keeps happening, there, there will come a point where you need surgery. And I think it was considered at Leeds a couple of times. I think it, it twice and it was always the case that, that everyone knew he was going to need surgery at some point almost inevitably and City would have known that this summer um, what they wouldn't have expected was for him to to aggravate his shoulder again in 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 that Barcelona game so early into his City career and has obviously since hurt it again in in training or at least reached a point where he just can't play through it anymore and, and the doctors have advised City that, that surgery is now the way forward in an ideal world, he'd have had surgery on it last year when he was out for so long. But I don't think anyone at Leeds thought that hamstring injury would rule him out for, for as long as it did. And I think it was considered that basically if he had surgery, he'd be out for longer because of that than the hamstring injury. And, and they needed him. And in the end, the, the hamstring injury just kept going and going. So it's kind of a, a missed opportunity. So it is unfortunate the way it started. Um, like I say, hugely frustrating for, for both parties, really. Um and you know, it was always going to be the case that at some point this surgery was going to be needed. Next summer would have probably been an ideal opportunity with no major tournament, but it's happened the way it's happened now. It's got to be done. It it, it is it is a risk for the World Cup now because City, you know, you play five more games before Southgate names names his squad. It, it's hard to see how Phillips is involved in any of them. So he's clearly an important player for England, but if he's going to be in the squad, Southgate's going to have to name him on the back of. Um, I think it's 14, 15 minutes of football this season, um, competitive football, which is obviously very little going into a World Cup. Certainly hard to see how he starts in, in that tournament now, even if he makes the squad. So it's been, you know, it's been extremely unlucky for him the way it's the way it's panned out. I don't think it's a surprise to him that he needs shoulder surgery at some point and, and needs it fixing permanently. But the timing of it has been very unlucky. And, and you know, like Joe said, and like we said, it, it is frustrating for, for all parties coming at, at this time of the season because it does also mean that Rodri is is probably going to start every game between from the start of the season heading into the World Cup. Um, you know, we, we might get Gundogan who gets one or two, but at the moment you'd think Rodri is going to start almost every game. Um, he started them all so far and, and between now and, and the World Cup, I think he's going to start the vast majority as well, if not all of them. Yeah, definitely. I mean, as you say, there is a couple of Alternatives, if need be, Gundogan's had to step up into that position a fair few times, and especially the season, the uh, the twenty nineteen season, he really, really stood up there and delivered and got City through that um, season when Fernandinho was sidelined. But um, you know, John Stones finished the game of Wolves there as well, so there are a couple of options. But it did make me wonder, like, do you reckon City maybe regret time getting rid of Romeo Lavia? Because if if Rodri picks up an injury now they are really it's not looking good in midfield all of a sudden to having so many options to looking really limited and Lavia 
City have done really well in making so much money on their youth. I think they've fought 40 million from Southampton alone on those four players. But Lavi has gone to Southampton. Now, he, he too is injured as well, so maybe it wouldn't matter either way. But he started the season really, really well in the defensive midfield role. And Guardiola knew he was training with the first team loads. He was on the bench loads, made first two made two first team appearances. He was a player that Guardiola knew the quality of. And maybe 10, 12 million for a player who's played two first team matches is too much to turn down. But City aren't exactly short of money. And it makes me wonder now if perhaps they should have kept him just for that, that option in the event of this happening. Yeah, I um, yeah, I don't. I'm not sure there'll be too too many regrets. Like you say, he he did start the season very well um, and has looked has looked decent. But I don't know if he'd have I mean, if Lavi if Romeo Lavi was still here and Rodri say Rodri got injured on this international break. I think at best he'd be on the bench. You know, I think Gundogan would 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 be fitting into that role. Um, so you know, certainly circumstances have transpired to make that that sale look less positive than it did at the time, but. You know that's that's just misfortune, really. And like we say, Lavia's injured at the moment. I'm not sure how long he's out for. Um, so it, it, you know, it is it is unfortunate the way it looks and the way things have transpired. But I still don't think he'd be the next cab off the ranking in that position for City. I think Gundogan would play there. Um, you know, they are. I'm not sure exactly how many games there is now. Maybe eleven, maybe twelve, and at twelve games between, no, maybe eleven for City actually because the Arsenal game's off. So I think eleven games maybe before the World Cup. So. It's not a. It's a tight schedule, but it's not a huge schedule. Mm. Um, you know, it's not a mountain of games. There's there's eleven to get through. City are already in a, a great position in the Champions League group, so they can certainly make changes in in some of those games. You would think the double header against Copenhagen looks a great opportunity to try and give players like Rodri a rest and maybe play Gundogan in in those two positions. So there are opportunities to rest and rotate. It's it's certainly unfortunate the way it's panned out and. Um, you know, Lavia might be thinking I could have had opportunities there, but we don't know how. You know whether he might have got injured at City. So mm-hmm. it's um, you know I guess it's just one of those things for City that the, the timing of it has been extremely unfortunate for them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know the one downside to an otherwise kind of a good weekend. For City, I, I missed to mention. Well done for Grealish for carrying on after having a boot lodged into his midriff. I don't know how that escaped us, but my God, what a red card for Nathan Collins! I do not know how he argued the point so um so viciously like ref- i don't know how the ref what you'd ex- possibly expect the referee to do in that scenario but well, well done um to jack for carrying on after that because i don't think i'd be a uh, walking for quite a while if i had such a boot forcibly put into my uh, uh stomach area but otherwise a really promising good weekend for city you know as we said the international break now the first portion of the season done and dusted 10 10 games has it been i think and you know how how are we feeling, Joe, about City's season so far? You know it's quite interesting. I think looking at the Premier League, that City, while undefeated in all competitions so far, aren't top just yet. Arsenal take that honour. They are currently top of the pile, and City aren't even joint, aren't even second clear. They're joint second with Tottenham, who of course they were meant to face off against each other um, uh, last weekend, um, but that game was postponed. So how, how are we feeling about City so far this season? It's hard to kind of review them too poorly because they're undefeated and have won most of the games but and the Wolves game certainly helps in the regard to that feeling of uneasiness but it's not been completely plain sailing despite Haaland despite all the good football because a few games now they have looked a little um, less solid than we've come to expect from them. Yeah they've had to come from behind a few times Um, Newcastle game 
wasn't great. They sort of had to rely on a bit of individual brilliance to rescue them there. Same against Crystal Palace. Um, that was very, very poor in the first half. Um, Aston Villa away, not great either and probably could and should have lost that game with that disallowed goal. Um, but Guardiola will always say before City go to these places like St James's Park and Villa Park that they're not going to be easy games and the crowd will get behind the home side and he's been proved right in that and it, it supports what he's been saying for the last few years that there's no easy game and every team will raise the game against City and I think overall he'll be very happy with, with what he's seen because he's seen some good sort of commanding performances, some come from behind performances that have uh, shown a bit of character. He's found areas to improve. And I think what you would say is that the areas that have been exploited have then been addressed in the next few games. So uh, he'll, he'll have seen areas of steady improvement. Um, yes, they're not top, but I think you look at the fixtures, Arsenal haven't been truly tested. I'm not saying City have either because they've not played any of the, the, the big sides, but I think... Guardiola will be quite happy to be within touching distance of first, um, bit of a break, and then and then come back for the uh, the next round of games before the World Cup. Um, I, I think I see Arsenal as a bit like Chelsea last year, very good start, but you can only judge them when they play the other big sides and when when the games are coming every few days and and they've got to carry on winning. City have that experience and and Arsenal as as good as they have been and as promising as Arteta is, I, I can't see their squad holding up to that. So, um, no, I, th I think Guardiola will be very happy. And he, he spoke, didn't he, about getting as many points on the board as early as possible because nobody knows what's going to happen after the World Cup. No one knows how players are going to come back, how that break is going to affect sort of mindsets after in the Premier League and stuff. So, I think it, that will be the aim for the next few games. Just get as many points as, as you can. Uh, don't think that you've got to rely on on later in the, in the, uh, in the season because, of course, City keep... City have characterised their recent title wins on big winning runs between November, December, January, and, and they're not going to be able to do that this season. So I'm, I'm expecting them to come back and, and really try and kick on uh, after, after this international break. Yeah, definitely. You know, you know it's, I think it's interesting what you say about Arsenal there because, you know, they've been really good this season. They've lost to United uh, somewhat surprisingly. But they've been so kind of ruthlessly efficient against all the other teams that I don't know if they have to necessarily beat. Maybe they'll have to beat City because City would beat everyone else. But the other kind of teams, I think as long as they kind of keep beating all the teams from, what, sixth downwards, who in seasons gone by they'd lose to, like they efficiently beat Brentford 3 0 last weekend, again, that they struggled with last year, that they usually kind of just see that. Just absolutely, all every sort of words I'm going to try and describe there. I've got swear words, and I'm trying, trying really hard to think of a different way of saying um, messed up really badly. But um, you know, they, they've got such um, history of throwing games away against lesser teams. If they don't do that now, it's a kind of a team of City's own design, considering the manager is Guardiola's former assistant and the the best player this year is Gabriel Jesus. But I, I, I kind of do think if they at least keep on just getting the wins without fuss against everyone else, and maybe give the you know the teams around them good get you know the, the the North London derby as well as the Manchester derbies on the first weekend back, so we'll have a great idea of where everyone stands after that after the international break, I reckon. But yeah, 
I do see Arsenal, if not being outright challengers, because City eventually just pull away, I do think they'll be in and around that top three and definitely the top four at the part time. How do you think? How do you see Arsenal and maybe Spurs challenging? And how have you rated City so far this year? Um, yeah, I think City have, have kind of done done what's expected of them, really. Like I said, there's been, been a couple of draws in there. Um, the you know the Villa one is probably more frustrating than the Newcastle one. I think Newcastle will cause a few teams problems at, at St James's this year. Um, yeah, you know, I, I I still I don't I don't see Arsenal keeping pace with City. I don't see Tottenham really keeping pace with City. Um, Tottenham are Tottenham are doing very well at the moment, but don't they don't look like a team that are doing very well at times. They're, they've had quite a, a strange start, and that they look to be toiling in in games and are finding ways to win, which I guess is impressive, but. You know, if you were to tell me now either of those two teams would finish above City at the end of the season, I'd be absolutely stunned. And I still think at this stage of the season, if if Guardiola's looking at the table, they'd be looking at where Liverpool are, I think, and assessing and assessing how the season started compared to them. And obviously it started very well. I think eight points ahead. Liverpool have got a game in hand, but it's away at Chelsea. Um and I still think if if you'd have looked at the start of the season, you'd have said Liverpool are the only team that can challenge City. You know, they've they've come back from they came back in in January in the second half of last season from from further behind than this, um, but there clearly looks to be issues within that team at the moment, and I still think that City will be looking at them as the team most likely to challenge them. Arsenal have, have started very well and look good, but you still feel like squad wise they're just they haven't they're not deep enough. Um, you know, I, I did the game and they were at United and they, they played quite well in that game, but they still lost it, um, and and that's the kind of thing that Arsenal do. They've got back into the game. They dominated the game for half an hour, and as soon as they got back into it, they threw it away. Um, and that, you know, that's just what they do. And I don't think they're at a point where they're going to be realistic title challengers. Tottenham have, have got that kind of Conte effect, and uh, clearly a, a very dangerous attack at the moment. But no, I still think looking at it that there's there's no one can really see. And, and even at this stage of the season, given the start they've had, I think you know if if City players and Guardiola look at the table, they'll be comparing themselves to to where Liverpool are. I think and being pretty happy with where they sit. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think it's quite telling that we're not really discussing Liverpool here at the minute, just sort of their kind of poor start. And I don't think many would have predicted it to be so stark coming out of the Community Shield where Liverpool like they hadn't missed a step. But that's kind of just how cookie crumbles every now and then, doesn't it? You know, we, that is let's say the first portion of the season done with. We've now got the international break, and you know. It's usually quite a dull time, and no doubt it will continue to be so. Tired. But there has been quite an interesting city development. Um, I'd like you to tell us about. You know, Erling Haaland started the season, started every game. There was concerns before the season about his fitness, and maybe he'll pick up an injury here and there. But gone straight through, absolutely no problem whatsoever. And City are going to create pains to hope to make sure that continues over the international break. Yeah, it's, you know, sending. Um... Sending Mario Profundi over with him to, to Norway. I think it was something Haaland um, suggested. Norway needed an extra physio and, and Haaland suggested it. And everyone seems to have been happy with it. I'm sure, you know, I'm sure Norway will, will pretty much do whatever Haaland suggests at the moment, given how, how important he is to them. And from City, I think it's, you know, it's it's perfect for City that they can send someone to keep a close eye on him and and work with him to a degree. There's obviously things that are going to be different on international duty, but it, it makes a lot of sense that City have eyes on the ground there now and, and know what's going on and can report back easily. So it, it does make sense and it'd be interesting to see how it how it develops really. I mean Norway and I think Norway will be involved in internationals again now until next March. But it'll be interesting to see what they do during that World Cup period really because for 
for non-internationals, it's going to be a, a strange experience and it's something that City and, and all the top clubs are going to have to manage. I think Liverpool have already said that they're going to have a couple of weeks off and then do a training camp in Dubai for players who aren't involved and players who then lose in the World Cup. It's obviously an easy journey to, to join up. And excuse me, I think I mean I think City will have even less than Liverpool not involved. There'll be very, very few who aren't going to the World Cup. But obviously Haaland is the big name and what you can't do is basically give him four weeks off and I think it will be a case of players maybe getting a week, 10 days, two weeks, max I, off. I think Guardiola said two weeks off and then back yeah, in. I think he said in. that in one of his press conferences yeah, already. Which makes sense because you're, you're you're basically at the point of any longer than that. And, and even with that level, you're almost into another pre-season. You know, I don't think it'd be a case of two weeks off, Haaland does nothing and then you can be straight into a game. It's, it's going to need building up fitness-wise now. The fitness is so, so you know, minusculely planned you know, plan to the to the to the nth degree now of what fitness levels people need to be at. Everything is monitored, diet intake, things like that. Everything is so highly tuned going into games that you will need that spell of building it back up. So, um, so it will be interesting to see what what City do with Harlan, whether they let him have that time off, but send someone like Profundi with him, maybe whether they just let him have that downtime, and then he comes back in and works very closely with a physio. But those players going to the World Cup are, are still training, still playing games. They're not going to lose the sharpness and, and they might suffer from tiredness, I guess, in the second half of the season. But the issue, conversely, for someone like Haaland is that if if they have too much downtime in that period or relax too much in that period, then they can they can lose their edge, basically. And come Boxing Day, they'll be back to being 75% fit, maybe, when they had been 100% fit and, and in the heart of the season back in, um, back in November. So it'll be interesting to see how that's managed as well. Yeah, definitely. It's certainly an interesting step that City take in to make sure Haaland kind of stays at um, peak fitness because he's he served him so well so far, Joe. Like, I think it would be safe to say, to say it'd be, if not a disaster, very intriguing to see how City would cope without him if he was to ever pick up an injury. But, you know, we are into the international break now, as we say. Um, surprisingly, I didn't know this. It's, it's actually not friendly games. England are playing Nations League matches against uh, Germany and Italy. The last international break before the World Cup in November. Um, is there anything you're looking for from a city angle or just maybe an international angle, Joe, in this break? It's going to be quite an interesting one to see how Southgate's squad kind of shapes up. Um, we'll be talking next week's episode about the two games, I reckon. I'm looking, looking forward to the Manchester derby, but it, it might be more interesting international break than normal, the normal September one, given its uh, proximity to the World Cup. Yeah, I think it will be interesting to see how much he plays Phil Foden and Jack Grealish and where they play, because they obviously have slightly different roles um, with England as they do um, with City. I, I think with England, there's a, a left-wing spot up for grabs. I'm not sure Mason Mount has started the season as as well as he he was uh, in the same form as he was going into, into the Euros, should we say. Um, and I think Grealish could maybe be at the stage where he's ready to start and also, you can't really ignore Phil Foden and his his abilities from that left wing. Um, with Calvin Phillips not being there, there's also could one of them play centrally? I'm not sure. So it'll be interesting to see how how they're used and and if if there is a place that opens up for them, then how will they come back and 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 play at City to to try and earn that place and and get themselves on the team sheet in Qatar? Um, I think John Stones is pretty much nailed on, isn't he? And, in defence, especially with Maguire being out of form. Um, I always think Kyle Walker should be the right back for England, but he's not 
been playing recently. He's been injured. I think I think I saw him training uh, for England. So uh, I think there will be. He some, was on uh, the bench for Wolves, so he is yeah, back. yeah, yeah. Uh, there'll be some eyes from cities looking at how how much he is being used um, for England. But again, that he's picked another four right backs in the squad, so a lot of competition there. Um, then a bit further afield, you've got players like Nathan Ake. Will uh, he, he always has to use these international breaks not only to try and break in the Holland squad, but show Guardiola what he can do. I think Julian Alvarez can benefit. I think Argentina might only be playing friendlies, but. Any game time is, is good for him to try and build on a promising start, but he's just not been getting the minutes behind Haaland. So, yeah, there's, there's plenty to look out for. And I think a few players with points to prove and and positions to win that might be slightly different from being at City. But um, that being able to play in more than one position is always a good thing. And I always think, especially with Phil Foden, if he can play in the centre for England, that will benefit City in the long run because he's getting exposure in that position, that sort of thing. So, um, now I'll be watching the England games, especially just just to see where um, who plays from City and, and where they play within the team. Absolutely. Well, we'll certainly be abreast of all of um, City's uh, international stars um, this next week or so over on ManchesterUnionNews.co.uk forward slash Manchester City. Get over there for all the latest on every City player and um, how the Blues are faring ahead of the return to Premier League action, which will, of course, be the Manchester Derby, a really hotly anticipated one with United's form. Um, it could really well be a really um, competitive, uh, fiery match, which I'm sure we're all looking forward to. We'll be back next week, no doubt, to talk about those two England games. I believe it's Germany on Friday, then, no, is it Italy on Friday, then Germany on the Monday? I believe, yeah, saved it there. So we'll be back some point next week to kind of look at those games, see what City's players have been up to um, and how they fared um, in their playing for their countries. Hopefully, there'll be no injuries to report on because what a downer that would be. But And then, we'll, of course, we will look to that Manchester derby. So, thank you, everyone, very much for listening. Um, and but until next week, uh, it's goodbye for now. It's a wrap.